You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Enzo. Intercepted. Good night. He leaps. Michael's got it. He's got it. They fired it in. Taken by Riley. He throws to the back. They double him off. Ball game over. If there's any doubt that Pedersen wants to make a commitment, I'm not convinced that they want to make a commitment. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Alfred. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Happy start of the NHL season, everybody. It begins tonight. We are in hour one of this program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Uh, it is in conjunction with the start of the NHL season. The Halford and Bruff Show has a very important NHL guest on the program today. Beginning at 6.30, Bill Daly kicks off our guest list. That's right. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly is going to join us. Uh, We're going to talk about a number of league issues, including the latest policies on Pride Nights and Pride Tape, or specifically no policy pertaining to those World Cup format, expansion, relocation, all that stuff. We'll talk to Bill Daly at 6.30 about that. 7 o'clock, our NHL season preview continues with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. So there's three games tonight. One of them starts at 2.30. Yeah, it's triple header. Yeah. Mm, 2.30 our time. Yeah. What a novel approach for the Mm. NHL. They're not going to have any games run up against one another tonight. Preds Lightning at 2.30 in the afternoon our time, followed by Connor Bedard's NHL debut, Penguins Blackhawks at 5, and then the Kraken take on the Vegas Golden Knights. Did we talk about the Vegas Golden Knights' rings? They got their Stanley Cup rings the other day. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. They weren't like subtle. They're not. They weren't. Subtle they were decided. like we went with a minimalist uh, <laughs> ring this year. No, actually, you can take it apart. It's like a, it's almost like a very expensive toy. Yes, there's a pendant. You can take apart part of the ring and wear it as a chain. Mm. It's like something getting one of those little eggs. What are those called again? The little Kinder Easter eggs. Yeah, it looks like a Kinder toy. <laughs> First thing I thought of. $50,000 Kinder toy. That's yeah. Right. Very, Whatever very it's worth. Expensive. I don't know. And then I ate several. Uh, uh, Ken Weeb's going to join us at 730 from the Winnipeg Free, pa- Free Press. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, the Winnipeg Jets made a couple of big signings yesterday. And then at 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play guy. For the Canucks, we'll talk about the uh, just how the team looks heading into tomorrow's season opener for the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver uh, against the Edmonton Oilers. So we're going to reverse 8 o'clock. It's Batch, 7.30. It's Ken Weeb, 7 o'clock. Greg Wyshynski, 6.30. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... You know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? 
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Jason mentioned it. The Canucks get their season underway tomorrow, which means that they have to have, you know, a functioning NHL roster. Canucks announced theirs yesterday, just ahead of the 2 p.m. Pacific deadline. 22 players, not 23, 22 active players on the roster. I suppose there's there's going to be some changes, or you could assume, prior to Wednesday. But oh, to yeah, get yeah. cap compliant on Monday, uh, the Canucks got their roster in. Vasily Colson called up from the American League. Akito Hirose and Cole McWord sent down, papered up, papered down. And we will see on Wednesday, tomorrow, what the final product actually looks like. Yeah, the opening day roster is always tweaked for cap reasons. Uh, for example, you mentioned the fact that Pod Colson made the cut. Well, he didn't make the team. He's not going to play on Wednesday. Same as this happened last season when uh, Klamovich made it for cap reasons. Again, it doesn't mean Pod Colson is going to play Wednesday. He won't. And neither will Carson Soucy, who could end up, I suppose, on LTIR at some point. Uh, Mikheyev will start on IR. And I thought it was kind of interesting that his agent felt the need to weigh in on the situation. His agent, Dan Milstein, Sent out a tweet yesterday, and maybe it was because the fan base and the media jackals like you and I had started to talk about the fact that Mikheyev wasn't going to be ready to start the season. So he sent out this tweet. Uh, uh, regarding Ilya Mikheyev, I wanted to clear up his injury situation in Vancouver. Every player heals differently. He's been working very hard to get ready. Just needs a bit more time, and then we'll be back in the lineup. The Canucks have been great in working with Ilya during his surgery and rehab. I knew, I know he soon will be ready and hungry to play. So when I saw that, I was like, that's not a great sign that his agent is already doing damage control mm-hmm. when it comes to the situation. Maybe that's just the negative media DNA uh, that I have. Hopefully, McKayev is back soon, but it remains to be seen when. And also, and I think this is one that doesn't really get discussed enough, how effective he's going to be when he does get back. Right, because the idea was that if he had had the surgery in a timely and orderly fashion and not tried to play on a torn ACL, might have bought him a couple extra months of recovery mm-hmm. post-surgery, allow him to come back from an injury, which historically has been tough to come back from. And you've heard lots of athletes talk about that first year back Yeah, is oftentimes, you don't want to call it a wasted year, but it's a year essentially spent trying to get back up to speed or more importantly, realizing they're not going to get back up to speed. And how do you change your game? Yeah, and the good news is that he looks like his straight line speed based on just the stuff we've seen in practice and what he's been saying. Um, he looks pretty good out there. Uh, I've watched video of him in practice and he looks like he's faster than most of the guys on the ice, if not all the guys on the ice. And, um, you know, that's what one of the things that attracted the Canucks to Mikheyev. Um, they needed his speed. Um, last year, playing on a on a very seriously injured leg he wasn't as fast. And then at the end, we were like, oh, he had a torn ACL. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the real tests for him, I imagine, are going to be not like, hey, there's a puck, go get it. It's more just like being able to battle, uh, being able to put a ton of weight, torque on the leg. Like that's good. That's going to be the tough thing. And it's and it's and it hurts. Right. Like when you're rehabbing, it's 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 functional. Yes. But. 
there's also a pain element to it, and I think that was one of the things he was uh, struggling with uh, early in training camp. Uh, we also have to understand that Mikheyev is now officially a year older because it's his 29th birthday. Oh, happy birthday. So happy birthday to Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, Elliot Friedman yesterday. It's funny. I was listening. I was at the gym, and believe it or not. Humble brag. And I was listening to the 32 Thoughts podcast, and I heard something on it. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. How has anyone in this market not heard this already and made a big deal out of it on social media? Elliot Friedman was kind enough to interrupt, interrupt the Canucks' relatively quiet, relatively hmm. quiet preseason by launching a bit of a grenade into the Vancouver market, which he loves so much. Um, he was talking about Elias Pettersson. And I think we'll just play the audio, and then we'll have some analysis of it. Here's <laughs> I texted him right away. I was like, you know what you're doing. You slide on. Uh, this is Elliot Freeman on the Elias Pettersson situation. What's been interesting about it is since Pettersson came out and said, I'm not sure yet, I think the Canucks have also kind of indicated, you know what, we're not sure either. Because if there's any doubt that Pedersen wants to make a commitment, I'm not convinced that they want to make a commitment. So this will be a fascinating development. So I, was, I, I kind of laughed out loud while I was uh, yeah. listening to this. I LOL'd. You LOL'd. I, LOL'd. Um, I was even LMAOing. Wow. Yeah, it was a big one. Uh, I was laughing because for like a minute before that clip, Frege was talking about how the Canucks have tried to keep everything calm in the market. And and we've talked about that a lot. There's your alarm, Halford. Weird. We've talked about that a wakey, lot. Wakey. Um, in terms of how they've approached the season in that, you know, they named Quinn Hughes captain well before training camp and they had kind of a muted press conference with him. Uh, they traded Tanner Pearson early on, mm -hmm. so that wouldn't become an issue when they were forced, if they were forced to cut him and send him down to the AHL, put him on waivers. So they took care of all this stuff. They even got the message out about Pedersen not signing mm -hmm. or waiting to think about signing or taking his time signing. They got that out of the way early through an interview with Frege. Yep. So he was talking about that. Oh yeah, the Canucks have had it made it made it really intentionally, um, you know, a quiet preseason. And then he was like, "Oh, by the way, they may not want to sign PD. Have a good season, everyone." Right? And everyone was like, "What?" And they just walked away. He ended the podcast. He said, "Never again." You got to remember that Pedersen also addressed this on the opening day of training camp in Victoria. Mm -hmm. It's like it's not going to be a distraction. The only one that's going to make it a distraction is you media jackals. And then the media jackals were like, "Oh yeah, you want to see?" And now we made it even more of a distraction. But point being. Um, I don't want to say this isn't a big deal because it is a big deal. I think the important thing to, to understand here is that this might not necessarily be a bad thing. I think everyone got nervous and started freaking out right away because, oh, my God, we're going to – we, the collective we, we're going to lose Pedersen. Or Vancouver and Pedersen are on their way to a divorce. He's been in Vancouver for five NHL campaigns. Oh, boy, not, are you going this way? If it goes that way. Yeah, yeah. If it goes that way. There's nothing wrong with – both parties realizing that maybe it wasn't meant to be a long-term 10-plus, 13-plus year marriage. Maybe it's not meant to be mm. Mark Shifley in Winnipeg who's going to play there till the end of time now. Like it's All I'm saying is... 
I don't uh, think Canucks fans want to hear that. I, that's too bad if they don't want to because hear it. Because he's the one of their is, best players, and he hasn't been the problem with this team. I think that this is probably going to happen in more places moving forward than we have expected or we've seen in the past in the NHL. Well, it already has. Yeah. I think, has started. I think that there's a new wave of young players that mm-hmm. are going to – I'm going to – they're saying, I'm going to get my, my bag. I'm going to secure my money. But I'm also going to choose where I want to play and where I want to live. Now, don't get me wrong. If anyone ever chooses to leave Vancouver, they can be dead to me. I can – like the Kessler thing. It took mm-hmm. forever for me to really get over that. And in some parts, I haven't because it was when the going got tough – he asked out. You live with those consequences yeah. as a pro athlete when you choose to leave. All I'm saying is look at the landscape right now. And even in, not even in this particular case, like not just Pedersen and Vancouver and the Canucks organization, but big picture is guys are probably going to entertain these options or at the very least play it the way that he's playing it, mm-hmm. which is I'm going to wait and see what happens. Well, I wonder. I just wonder how much of this is all negotiation, posturing. From the Canucks perspective, I'm sure there's an element of posturing to this. Uh, Everyone knows how important PD is to the Canucks' current future. Mm -hmm. And I say current future because it's the current plan. Uh, But I also think it's natural to be like, well, if you're not 100% sure about staying here, then I don't know if we should be 100% sure about committing to a major contract because we need you to be all in. And, God, we've talked about, unless it's just, like, empty words and empty platitudes when you talk about your best players and your leadership group being the ones to pave the way for everyone else, Mm -hmm. you can't have one of your big-time leaders and one of your highest-paid players, which Petey will be. He'll be the highest-paid player. You you, You can't have questions about his commitment to the franchise right? absolutely to the team not just the individual not just himself um here's another thing to think about if they aren't a competitive team this season what's something huge they could do that fundamentally changes their direction you mean like trading Elias Patterson well let's go through the other options if you think about their other stars they've already committed to JT Miller contractually He's 30 years old. He's in control of the process. Probably doesn't have a ton of trade value. Not like franchise-changing trade value. They made Quinn Hughes the captain. Mm. They're not going to make Quinn Hughes the captain and then be like, oh, we're going to trade you. Yeah, we have promptly right? sent That's you not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thatcher Demko is a really good goalie. Times he's an elite goalie. Mm-hmm. Goalies don't have trade value anymore. Just ask the Winnipeg Jets. That's one of the reasons that that deal came together and Connor Hellebuck signed with the Winnipeg Jets. It was twofold. The Winnipeg Jets probably figured that they're not even going to get much for him. And then I think Hellebuck was probably like, I don't know how much I'm worth on the open market at my age. I might be able to get the most money I can out of Winnipeg. And training a guy like, like who's left after that? Kuzmenko? He's not, he's not going to move the needle mm-hmm. in terms of the trade return. So maybe they're just keeping this in their back pockets and going, if we're not competitive again this season, and you kind of alluded to this, right, then we need to do something drastic. I mean, that's all it is. Pedersen would have been here, let's say hypothetically, that this season doesn't go great. Canucks missed the playoffs, right? Regardless of what Pedersen's individual statistics are and how many points he's able to put on the board, it's still going to be six years of marriage 
that have resulted in West- virtually no postseason success whatsoever, mm. save the brief sojourn into the bubble. I guess I guess my issue with going down this um, this particular path is assigning blame the right way. Because, <laughs> we don't have to assign. Blame. No, 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 no. Well, we do because. Like, oftentimes teams will get into, they'll have some good players, but they won't have enough of a team. And then they're like, trade the good players. Like, are you trading him because the team hasn't worked? Are you trading him because it's your only option to create meaningful change? Because I don't look at the Canucks over the last few years and go, Pedersen is the reason that they haven't been competitive. No. It's it's like almost almost like everything else. Sure, but when it's a, look... When Thatcher Uh-oh, Demko on look. The, when Thatcher Demko on the eve of the season says that this is a do or die campaign for this leadership mm-hmm. group, all of them understand what's at stake. Furthermore, all of them understand where they stand in the organization. Because as you pointed out, there's certain guys that have to be feeling that they are longer for Vancouver than others. For example, the newly minted captain. For example, the 30 year old guy with a really long contract. Yeah, certain guys kind of figure that yeah. Based on circumstances, I'm going to be here for a while. Now, it works both ways because in the case of Hughes and in the case of Miller, there's been some sort of reciprocal understanding that the organization likes them and they're going to stay with the organization. Mm -hmm. That isn't there with Pedersen right now. It's just it's not. There's a chasm there where he wants to see where the direction of the club is going to go. And the Canucks kind of return serve and they're like, fine. Let's see where you go. Let's see where you take us this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're to believe the accuracy of Fridge's reporting, and I don't know why we wouldn't, I think that I've makes heard the, a lot I've, of sense. For the record, I've heard the same thing, that the Canucks aren't entirely sure about making a massive eight-year commitment to Pedersen. Yeah, it's like when you're... And the, I can't quite get the details of exactly why. It's like the early but, days of dating, where you don't want to you don't want to come off too keen. You want to play a little, play a little hard to get. I don't think it's that. Want to dive all in. I, I don't think it's. I don't think they doubt him as a player. I don't think anyone doubts him as a player. Yeah, but there's a lot of different things that go into this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you, I don't think they've seen what they want to see out of him in terms of him being part of the leadership group. That very well may be. Like true. I think you. I think that I actually think that's obvious based on what Rick Tockett has said. Right. Right. Yeah, like he he hasn't outright criticized Petey, but he hasn't lauded him either. Like they're asking these guys to charter direction and charter new culture for this uh, this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think Quinn has been on board, and they named him captain. I think JT has shown a want for leadership. I agree. He needs to maybe learn a few things about leadership, but he actually seems like when you you hear JT talk, he he recognizes he's not perfect. And he, he admits these things, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, I've got things to work on. I don't think you can say the same thing when I, I don't think – I think that's part of it, right, with with the Canucks and Pedersen. They're sure. like, is this guy really committed to what we're doing as a team? Right. Well, and that's why this year becomes such a huge referendum on all this. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, and all we've said countless times in the past, all the excuses are kind of gone. All the asterisks about why things didn't go right are kind of gone. They got the coaching staff in place. They've got the captain that they wanted, right? This, yeah. At least according to the organization, if everything goes right this year, they should be a playoff <laughs> team. So the bar is theirs for what needs to happen to say, yeah, everything's going in the right direction. 
On the flip side of that, if it doesn't go in the right direction, at least you can point to, okay, at least we know it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no more reasons or Boudreaux bumps and then Boudreaux fall-offs, all that stuff. It's either make it or break it. It's that kind of a year. Is Patrick Alvin going to talk to the media before the season? Because I mean, he's got today and tomorrow. Yeah, the, the Canucks are going to practice today, and I know there are media veils after practice at Rogers Arena. I just don't know if that involves Patrick Alvin because there are questions, I think, that the media has about the McKayev situation. And there should also be an availability with the general manager considering the importance last season of training camp. And, you know, wouldn't you want to ask the general manager, like, what have you seen from training camp? Yeah, We, we heard it's important. You know, it didn't go well last year, apparently. Yeah. Um, are, are there going to be any questions about the Pedersen situation. Not that they'd answer, but I'd just be curious if they're going to do a media veil. You know, right? I've seen other teams mm-hmm. have media veils heading into the season. I just wonder if Patrick Alvin's going to talk to reporters and just kind of give his impression of how training camp went. Because I don't think it was perfect. No. <laughs> right? Like, it wasn't. And how about uh, asking, so answering some questions about the state of the defense or... New acquisitions in, in, in Lafferty, you know, that sort of thing. Like the roster is actually, the roster I think is actually quite different than the, the way that a lot of people expected it would be heading into the season. So I do want to pivot quickly here because it's a good jumping off point when we talk about the future direction of clubs and the executives answering questions about them. Uh, Hellebuck, Shifley, Bonus, Sheveldayoff, the four major players in Winnipeg are going to meet with the media today to answer questions after yesterday's. I would classify it as pretty surprising news that Mark Scheifele and Connor Hellebuck signed matching seven-year, $59.5 million extensions with the Jets. So we're going to get into this with Ken Weeb later, and we'll talk about the Jets as a team and where they're going. But since we're mostly focused on the Canucks, let's make this about the Canucks. Do you remember when we went into last offseason and we looked at some teams around uh, the conference and thought, okay, how are the Canucks going to make the playoffs? Well, usually it helps if some of the teams drop off. Winnipeg and Calgary were two teams that we looked at and said, I wonder if they're going to, let's say, let's use the phrase blow it up. Mm-hmm. More like make take a step back to take two steps forward later on, right? And we wondered in Winnipeg if they're going to trade Hellebuck. We wondered if they're going to trade Shifley. Mm-hmm. We wondered if they just needed a big, a, a kind of a reset there. Yeah. And we looked at Shifley's a pending UFA. He's going to be almost 30. And we talked about, well, maybe Boston would be interested in a guy like Shifley. At any rate, we wondered if it might be possible if Winnipeg would go through some changes. Right, because they did undergo some changes with Wheeler and Dubois leaving. I thought that was the start of the overhaul. And I think, and I think, but I think when uh, the Jets targeted the type of players and the type of return that they did from the Kings, it made it less likely that they would have a full rebuild. Mm -hmm. And now it's very unlikely because they've committed to uh, Shifley and Hellebuck going forward. So I think we can say in the case of Winnipeg, it makes it harder for the Canucks to make the playoffs because if the Canucks are fighting for a wild card spot, well, the Winnipeg Jets might be fighting for a wild card spot too. Yep. The Calgary Flames, I was almost certain that they'd have to take a step back. I, I'm 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 still a little bit shocked that they're going into the season with the likes of Elias Lindholm as a pending UFA after what they went through 
with Johnny Gaudreau. Very surprising. Now, they did make a few changes, like they traded to Foley early on, and they signed Backlund and made him the captain. But if you're looking at this team right now, um, there's still a lot of pending UFAs on this team. Like they haven't, they haven't made that decision to again do the same thing in Winnipeg. Like I don't think they were ever going to go through like a full on rebuild because they've committed to the likes of Huberdeau and Kadri and um, you know a few other players. So they were never going to do the full tear it down. Yeah. But I thought they'd make some more changes. I thought they might trade Lindholm or or trade Hannafin like all those guys are still there which makes it harder for the Canucks to make the playoffs yeah I'm very surprised that these rosters look the way that they do going into the regular season and by the way coincidentally enough the Jets open their regular season tomorrow against the Calgary Flames. So they get uh, things right underway with these two teams that we thought were going to go in one direction very clearly going in another. Okay, we're up against it for time. Real quick break. When we come back, NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. As we mentioned off the hop, the start of the NHL season just a few hours away at 2.30 our time. It's Preds and Lightning, 5 o'clock Blackhawks and Penguins, and then at 7.30, it's the Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights, your defending Stanley Cup champions. Joining us now on the day where the NHL season gets away, it's NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, we're good. We're excited for the start of the season. There's a lot on the horizon here. We did, however, want to start with the most recent news pertaining to what players and franchises can do this season as it relates to special initiatives like Pride Night. Um, as I understand it, there was a memo sent out to NHL teams earlier that kind of outlined game and practice-related special initiatives. Just so we have a baseline of what's um, going to happen this season. Can you let us and our listeners know, not verbatim what the memo contained, but what the rules and practices are going to be for special related initiatives this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the primary point is that nothing's really going to change in the sense that our clubs will continue to celebrate uh, these special initiatives and these causes uh, and do a lot of cause messaging around those uh, events. Um, the only difference this year is we're we're asking the clubs not to employ use of the players on the ice uh, during the game. Um, as you know, probably we we had some issues last year with uh, with players feeling uncomfortable and supporting certain causes, and we didn't want our players to be put in that situation going forward. So, uh, a question a lot of fans have is why wouldn't players be allowed to use, for example, pride tape if they wanted to in the warm up? 
Well, I think, again, these are they're tough lines to draw here. Uh, we don't want the situation where some players uh, or, or a large majority of players use a certain cause messaging um, that other players don't want to utilize. And that puts that those other players in a difficult position. Uh, we don't want to put them in that difficult position. Um, what about the people who feel let down, who felt the league was an advocate for them, and now it feels like, um, to them at least, that you've taken a step back in your advocacy? Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm certainly sensitive uh, to that that feeling. Um, having said that, as I said off the top, we don't really think that a lot of things are changing here. Uh, everything's going to go forward. Uh, clubs are going to support these causes like they've always supported them. They'll probably throw be throwing more resources behind them. They'll be more prevalent. Um, so I, I uh, you know, we we don't want our players put in difficult positions. We want them to be able to make the uh, choices about the causes they are interested in championing mm-hmm. and those that they aren't. Um, but that doesn't affect the the. Um, events of our clubs. So off the ice, do you think the the players are going to be encouraged to show their support for these? But it just, I guess, I guess that's the, the key phrase. It has to be off the ice. Yeah, it'd be off the ice and in non-game situations, game non-official practice situations, um, and players are encouraged as they always have been to to you know, show support for causes and and uh, fight for causes that they feel strongly about. So, Bill, how is business for the league overall? How are, how, how are you guys feeling? You went through a very interesting few years. Uh, I know in Vancouver and especially on this show, we hate the flat cap because it sure makes <laughs> trades hard. And we're like, we, we sit here and, you know, pull our hair over about how the Canucks are going to trade, trade a guy making league minimum. Um, is that going to be over soon? Well, for better or for worse, that probably is. This is the last year of the flat cap. Uh, I think we'll revert to a, a more generous increase uh, proportion year over year. Um, we uh, business. I'll go back to your first question, which is business is strong. Revenues have never been stronger. We're projecting them to be higher again this year, uh, significantly higher. Um, so, uh, you know, business is, is good and, you know, we're looking forward to continue to grow the business, uh, going forward. And the, I know the players association feel that's important as well, um, on behalf of the players and we're working together to do that. We're speaking to NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Bill, one of the things we talk about often on this show is uh, international hockey or the lack of best-on-best that we've seen over the last few years. So we were excited when we got news over the summer about plans for an entire international calendar, including a return to the World Cup of Hockey. How far along are you guys in figuring out the format for a potential World Cup? Well, I, th- I think we have a good sense of what the long-term format's going to look like. The-, the bigger issue for us in the short term is what does an international tournament format look like as early as February of, of 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in answering that question, we have to really almost project as to what the world situation is going to look like from a political standpoint. Um, you know, what's going on in Russia, what's going on in the Ukrainian conflict, 
um, kind of where our European-born players are vis-a-vis Russia, where Russia is vis-a-vis uh, Olympic or international competition participation. Those are all going to be important issues that we're going to have to wrestle with, uh, hopefully wrestle to the ground. I think w- the good news is we're committed uh, to putting together um, some type of international tournament um, and get that up and running for the uh, February 2025 time period. Is it possible that you may not call it the World Cup because it might be more of a, I don't want to say an exhibition, but, you know, uh, more of a like the world, the, like the last World Cup, which, see, my problem with the last World Cup, just to put it out there, was like, it didn't prove that Canada is still the best in the world because some of the Canadian players were playing for the Young Guns team with the Americans. And I think what we really want, and I won't speak for everyone because a lot of people enjoyed that World Cup, but we really want is to like have those moments like we had back in 2010 when you know it's the Americans versus the Canadians in the gold medal game. And everyone's nervous. Like I didn't feel the nerves in the last World Cup because it wasn't true best on best, your country's best against our country's best. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that whatever it is we ultimately decide to put on in February 2025 is going to be called a World Cup because I don't think it's going to be in the form of a full World Cup tournament. Um, I do expect that longer term uh, there will be a return to kind of your traditional World Cup format. Um, we've been interested in the past, and, and I think we've said this publicly, and we certainly share the view with the Players Association that um, as we move forward with this tournament, uh, tournament longer term, uh, we're going to want a qualification round. We're going to want uh, countries to play for the right to, to participate uh, on some basis, and, and that's going to make it even a bigger deal, I think. <clears throat> um, you know, we just need to get from here to there. What's going on with expansion, Bill? Uh, nothing really going on with expansion. Um, you know, our position on expansion really hasn't changed since uh, Seattle came into the league in the sense that, you know, it's not on any kind of to-do list or priority list for the league. Uh, having said that, we have received expressions of interest, multiple expressions of interest, um, not only from cities uh, who want to host NHL teams, but also from potential ownership groups who want to own NHL teams. And that's a you know, it's a healthy, uh, healthy interest, um, and uh, certainly we're grateful for the healthy interest. And we'll, uh, whether it goes anything beyond that uh, at any point in time is is uncertain at this point. Um, but certainly, the interest is out there. Do you have to figure out the Arizona situation before you expand? Well, I think we have to figure out the Arizona situation. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's before <laughs> we determine we're you know proceeding to an expansion or not um you know that's continues to be a work in progress it continues to be something uh that the coyotes ownership and management are focused on uh finding solutions to it continues to be something they they feel uh, optimistic about um and we're supporting them in that 32 teams is kind of a magic number, though, isn't it? Like you've got, you can have four divisions of eight teams or eight divisions of four teams. Um, we're also worried uh, here in Vancouver that it's hard enough for the Canucks to win the Stanley Cup, that if you keep adding teams, uh, it's going to get even harder. Um, well, 32 teams is a good number. There's no doubt about that. Um, we're, we're comfortable at that number. And that's, you know, as I said, we're, there's no kind of burning 
desire necessarily to add teams. Um, but at some point, you have to be responsive to the marketplace as well. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, you know, I, I think the last two expansions we did in, in Vegas and Seattle, obviously, were extraordinarily successful. Part of that was the competitiveness of those teams kind of right off the bat, maybe not so much Seattle last year uh, or two years ago, but but certainly last year and their ability to be competitive quickly. Um, that has a lot to do with the expansion draft rules that the owners crafted, but also it has to do with our current system and how it operates. Um, it allows clubs to become more competitive earlier on, um, and on a year-to-year basis, it can change dramatically. So, you know, I'll, I'll put that, I'll put the Canucks in that category. They, they have uh, have a good opportunity to be a, a much better team this year and be very competitive. We're speaking to NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I just wanted to go a little bit further on this because I know I was reading in uh, an article from September when you did the initial address talking about more and more people are interested in owning a professional hockey team. And I think it is obviously tied directly to the success that Vegas and Seattle have had breaking into the league. I mean, how much interest do you get? Do you have billionaires calling you up on a semi-regular basis? Being like, this seems like an interesting proposition, Bill. I'd like to learn more. Uh, well, we, we certainly have people calling us up on a regular basis, wanting to meet. Um, commissioner's policy has always been an open-door policy. We're, we're willing to take a meeting with any anyone. Um, you know, we have a candid conversation with them as as to um, kind of what it's going to take. Um, you know, what what the expectations of the owners are in connection with any potential future expansion. Um, we also tell them what I just told you, which is it's not really on our front burner right now, um, but it's good to know that you're interested. And if it that were to change at any point in the near future, we'll be back in touch. Okay, one more. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking. Oh, I'm sure he he loves hypotheticals. What, <laughs> what would make a, a hypothetical return to Atlanta work this time, hypothetically, as opposed to the previous two iterations of an Atlanta NHL franchise? Well, I mean, look, I, I think the world has changed pretty dramatically demographically uh, in and around the Atlanta market. Um, you know, certainly that's true. I mean, the Flames... Uh, coming into the league in 1972 and leaving in 1979, they're, they're you know, I, I don't even think they're relevant to the experience mm. of, of what an Atlanta hockey franchise could do currently. Um, I think with respect to the Thrashers, uh, I, I actually think the Thrashers were a little more successful than most people give them credit for um, from a financial standpoint. But having said that, I think everybody recognized that where the arena was built, where the Thrashers and Hawks played, wasn't the best part of the um, Atlanta metropolitan market to, to put a, a, a hockey arena. Um, I think there are uh, there are places north of Atlanta, um, not too far north, uh, similar to what the Braves have experienced, uh, where uh, it would be much more friendly to a professional sports franchise, and particularly a hockey team. Um, apropos of nothing, really. Actually, it's it's related to a question we have about uh, the NBA here in Vancouver. And one of the things we always say is, like, no NBA team is going to come to Vancouver and be a tenant in an arena. Do you think, like, how important is it for, let's say there's an owner or, or a really rich guy that wants to own a team. How important is it for the owner to control the building? Well, what I'd start with is arena economics are vital. 
are critical, right? They're critically important. Does that mean you can't be a tenant and have good arena economics? No, not necessarily. Um, certainly, I would say that in a perfect world, I think most of our owners uh, would want to control their arenas um, because you're, you know, you're, you're more in control of your own revenue streams and, mm-hmm. and understanding how to allocate those revenue streams. Uh, as you move forward. So I, I, I think, obviously, um, it's preferential uh, to be in control of your arena, but not essential. How how much, like, when people talk about buying a team, like, compared to, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago where they might have just wanted to own a team because that would be cool, uh, how much of it now involves things like developing property around an arena or it just something more than owning the hockey team? Um, well, I think situations vary. Uh, obviously, the the um, the ability to make a, a meaningful difference to a community, um, both from a development standpoint, but also from financial standpoint, is an attractive opportunity. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna suggest it doesn't come into the, the mix in in an owner's kind of what he wants to accomplish and what he wants to do. Um, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but certainly it can enhance um, a financial opportunity for um, somebody who wants to own a professional sports franchise. We are speaking to NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Bill, in light of what happened in Columbus with Mike Babcock prior to the start of the regular season, have there been any amendments or changes or updated to a code of conduct for NHL coaches, specifically as it pertains to the coach-player relationship? Well, the simple answer to that is no. There's been no change in policy. Um, the, The more complicated answer to that is uh, is conduct uh, and responsibility um, at the forefront of everything we're preaching these days to, to all the people associated with the National Hockey League? The answer to that is yes. Um, e- even most recently at our, our board meeting uh, last week, the commissioner made clear to everyone in the room our expectations uh, as to conduct uh, and responsibility and, and people associated with our league taking responsibility for their actions. Um, we earlier in the summer, um, I guess it was early fall, uh, we had a, a, a kind of an executive meeting with each of the 32 general managers in the league, each of the 32 head coaches in the same room. Uh, it was the first opportunity we've uh, really ever had to do that, um, at least in my tenure at the National Hockey League, and that's been 27 years. But uh, I thought that was a good, open, candid, hard discussion uh, we had with with those groups with respect to what the league, um, uh, you know, holds people accountable for and and um, what we expect in terms of behavior um, and conduct. Um, and I think it was received well. Um, so. It continues to be on the top of our list. Do we have uh, different rules? No, we we have the basic rule that you're uh, intended, um, you're expected to 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 act professionally um, and uh, and have conduct that's consistent with uh, the overall objectives and goals and standards of the league. Uh, Bill, we want to thank you for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the regular season and enjoy tonight, the start of the regular season. Thank you, guys. Enjoy yourselves as well. Good luck to the Canucks. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Appreciate it, Bill. That's Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. So, like, honestly, we probably could have talked to Bill for another 20 minutes because mm-hmm. there's a laundry list uh, of issues that the league is facing right now. 
and at the forefront is going to be the continued monitoring of everything as it relates to special initiative nights. And when we talk about special initiative nights, at the front of that is uh, every all 32 teams and what they're going to do or not do with regards to Pride Nights. And then the trickle-down effect of... Removing it on ice, and that's essentially what Daly said. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to paraphrase or parse his words, but essentially he said, this has gone from being an on-ice demonstration and exhibition to an off-ice one. And you use the word monitoring, and I think, you know, ironically, that's what the NHL wants to get away from, and that's why they have these rules. They they want people and fans to stop monitoring who's going to wear the pride jersey, who's going to wear the pride tape. Yes. But he acknowledges that it's a tough position because if the league has the, – the, there's no question that the league has said that it wants to be an advocate, mm-hmm. but it's but there are people that they're supposed to be advocating for that don't feel supported right now. Right. Uh, we will continue this conversation uh, later on in the show. We've got a 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock hour uh, to discuss everything – that transpired with Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner. But it's time now to pivot to the Everything Financial Report. Uh, it is the Everything Financial Report. You may think getting a proper financial plan is a long, cumbersome, and difficult process, and that's why you don't have one. Well, you're wrong. It isn't. Normally, Peter Shashecki is joining us for these reports, but today it's Vichy Truong from Everything Financial here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, V. How are you? Hello, boys. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, we're doing pretty well, and this is always a tough transition bouncing around various subjects what is a reverse mortgage out of nowhere well i'll put it in a context you guys and your listeners would appreciate it's the financial equivalent of trading a first round draft pick oh explain just like on your local team if things don't go well it's a mismanagement uh you could borrow from the future to make the now a lot better so simply put it's an equity mortgage where you don't have to make the payments so as a result, the interest is added to the mortgage. So over time, the balance goes up instead of down. So hence, you are reversing your mortgage. So reverse mortgages don't have the greatest reputation. Uh, are they dangerous? Is there any difference in Canada versus the United States? Yeah, great question. In, in the U.S., they can be a little predatory. But in Canada, the biggest thing is they're owned by the, the uh, Canadian banks. So two of the three reverse mortgage companies owned by Canadian banks, you had the same safety, privacy, and protection requirements as all banks in Canada. And what they do in Canada is the younger you are, the less they lend you so that the home will still go up faster than the value of the reverse mortgage. Um, So who would do a reverse mortgage? Why would you do a reverse mortgage? At what point in your life would you consider one? Yeah, so this is mostly retired people. It's kind of uh, you do it because you have to, right? You don't trade a first-round draft pick because it's the best thing to do, right? It's If you're retired and can't or you don't want to make payments, uh, possibly if you wanted some more monthly income, so that maybe to supplement your pension or maybe just do the other way, to lower your investment draws so they last longer. Uh, if you like your kids, maybe you want to give them an early inheritance <laughs> to get into the housing market. Uh, maybe, you know, you like traveling somewhere warm, you can buy a vacation property or, or put a suite in your home for that extra income. 
what are the fees? What are the risks to doing this? Yeah, so fees are about double of what a normal refinance would cost. So about $25 all in. So legal appraisal, setup fees, that sort of thing. Uh, the risks, I'll cover two actual risks and three myths. So two actual risks. First is the penalties in the first three years. So if you cancel in the first three years, penalties are quite high. Wait for the fourth year and beyond where it's a more reasonable three months of interest. And number two is not having access to the rest of your equity. So if they only lend you 35, 40% of your equity, you don't have access to the other 60% if you need it. You'd have to sell your home in that case. And the myths, one, you won't run out of equity. They will not take your home as long as you live there. They won't call the loan. And the bank does not take title. When you die, your estate just decides how to pay out the mortgage, just like if you died with a regular mortgage, guys. The Tree Trong from EverythingFinancial.com. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for filling in for Peter. Awesome, guys. Talk to you guys later, hopefully. That Talk to you later. Thank you. That is the Everything Financial Report. Everything Financial, just one hour of your time, and they'll get you on the road to financial freedom with their Omni Formula Express plan. It's really that easy. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com or call 1-888-424-4421 and get your complimentary introductory meeting booked today. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, one of our favorite guests, is going to join us next to talk all things NHL on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.